Welcome to season four of the You Flourish podcast, where we help you flourish in your faith. We are high energy, enthusiastic business professionals who are unapologetically Christians. At You Flourish Company, we know that our world puts such a high value on success and productivity, and unfortunately, our faith gets put on the back burner. So what does it mean to flourish in your faith? Well, it means collaborating with God in every area of your life and in every season. With friends, family, and in business meetings, God wants to have a seat at your table, but you have to invite him in. And that is why this podcast exists, to help prepare you for every curveball that comes your way so you can stay grounded and flourish in your faith. Join us every other Tuesday for a new interview with a faith leader. Now it's time to dive in to today's episode. Hello, Will. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear more about who you are and your story. I know you and I connected just very recently on LinkedIn, and I am just so excited because you have such a vast variety of experiences. Your background is so full, um, even though you're at such a young age. So the experiences that you can draw from um, to share with us more about your faith journey, um, I'm just so excited for. And so with that, I thought maybe we could just kick off, Will, by you telling us more about who you are and your faith story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelsey, well, thank you for having me. So I guess, um, let's see, at a high level, um, former intelligence officer, my background, um, been working on aerospace topics for a number of years now and, and since went private sector after leaving the government. Um, I, I think in the context of my own personal faith journey, you know, I, um, I, I grew up going to church as a kid, uh, went to Sunday school as a kid, right, um, but kind of fell out of it in my teenage years. Um, I, I think, you know, like a lot of rebellious teenagers, didn't necessarily want to go to church when I was 13 or 14 years old. And I, I think, um, you know, for, for a number of years, for me, I, I think in the back of my mind, I, I kind of had this assumption that, you know, okay, if, if God is out there, he'll make his presence known and I don't really have to do anything, you know, and, and at, at a certain point, you know, he'll, he'll come to me, right? If, you know, um, if he wants me to go back to church, right? And I, I think that was kind of that, that teenage mentality that I had. And I, I think um, there was sort of a certain point during college in, in my early 20s um, when, you know, I, I had the realization that I, I didn't quite know what it would sound like or what it would look like if God was speaking and, and wanted to bring me back to church and have that influence on my life. And so, so I actually started looking at, you know, what are the experiences that, that other people have had, right? And so, so I started looking at the writings of, of C.S. Lewis or, you know, St. Augustine's Confessions, right? And I, I think a lot of those ended up being very influential for me. I, I think especially because, you know, with someone like C.S. Lewis, right, he went through his own periods of questioning and doubt early on in his life as a young man. And I, I think you know, kind of getting back to the church eventually and, and finding his way back. I, I think that was really influential to look at those stories of other people to, to figure out what to listen for. Hmm. I love that. Well, and it, um, I know that concept of, oh, God will come to me. It's very easy for us to go through our days and go through our lives and think, oh, um, you know, I don't have to work at this. It's just gonna, you know, I can go to church on Sunday and then move on with my life. And um, I can still call myself a Christian, but that's not always, you know, God wants us to go to him and collaborate with him on a day-to-day -day basis. So how, 
you know, how did you start to incorporate God more into your daily life as time went on? Yeah, so I, I would say, um, it, at least initially, kind of uh, going and looking at a lot of those historical texts and reading through those experiences that other people had, I, I think that kind of taught me what to listen for. And then I, as soon as I started listening, I think it was almost immediately apparent. And I remember, you know, the, the day when I said, okay, I think I need to go back to church on Sunday because, you know, it clicked, right? Um, and, and that was actually Palm Sunday when I went back and I was living in New York City at the time. Um, and I, I think that was kind of, you know, a big turning point for me. And I, I think increasingly since then, um, I've seen a lot of value in getting involved in, in small groups. Um, I, I know that we'll discuss that more today as well, um, as well as a couple of leadership experiences in um I, I did some training with the um, Reformed Institute of Metropolitan Washington, focused on what it takes to actually lead a small group and, and build up a young adult ministry um, and, and how you do that in a way that can help bring other people in and, and kind of lower that barrier to entry. Um, and so I think uh, that small group element ended up being really important. Um, and I found more and more value over time in that as well. Hmm. So tell us more about the Reform Institute. What did you learn when you were there? Yeah, so um, it, it was, you know, a multi-month series, uh, kind of a small cohort-based model. Um, and this was in Washington, D.C. at the time when I was living there. And I, I think one of the biggest takeaways there was that if, if you're looking at young adult ministry or even just small group Bible study, um, the most important thing you can do is, is lower the barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I think a, a lot of people probably remember being, you know, in, in middle school or high school and, you know, getting called on in class when you didn't read that chapter in the book. Right. And, and kind of that, that feeling of, of embarrassment of, you know, I didn't do the reading last night. And, and so I think, um, you know, a, a lot of people don't necessarily show up at small groups or Bible studies because they might feel intimidated or might feel like they didn't do the reading or, you know, they, they don't have enough of a background um, to really speak to certain topics. And so what, what we, we really focused on there was, um, you know, you, you do kind of a single page reading, right? You make sure that whatever reading you're going to focus on that day can fit on a single sheet of paper. Um, you tell everyone you don't have to read it in advance. It's totally fine. Show up even if you did no preparation. And we're going to set aside the first five to 10 minutes for everyone to quiet, you know, quietly read it, even if you didn't look at it before. And then we'll get into discussion. And I, I think all of a sudden, you know, attendance went, you know, through the roof compared to what it was before, uh, because it was much more approachable for people and, and they didn't feel intimidated anymore. Mm. So less homework um, allowed for more people to come because they felt like they were able to participate. I can relate so much to that. I was the student in college that um, would show up to every class, but outside of class, I was a very bad student because I wouldn't read the assignment. I would just show up in class and I would take vigorous notes um, and yeah. really hone in. And I think that different people have different learning styles so I'm sure that that was able to attract more people that needed to set that time aside to do the reading um, together. So it kind of sounds like that creates some accountability um, to actually do the work, but you're just doing it together. Yeah, and I, I think also um, focusing on maybe a shorter bit of text, because I, I think sometimes it's easier to try and cover too many passages at once. And, you know, you, you can find something that fits on a single sheet and, and discuss it for hours if you want to. Um, so, so I think sometimes honing in on one specific thing and doing a deeper conversation is, is better than trying to cover too much text all at once. Mm. I love that. So tell us more about some of your work experiences and um, maybe how you've seen God and the different work experiences that you've had. Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in my former job, um, so former CIA officer by background, um, spent about five years undercover. And I, I think... Um, you know, for me, I, I always 
felt a calling of doing national security work, right? Of kind of the way that I would do good in the world would be to focus on the national security sector. I, I think part of that is, you know, you, you look at the intersection of, um, of maybe your gifts and the world's needs and, and that intersection is, you know, your calling, right? But I, but I think that takes a lot of discernment and a lot of focus over time to, to figure out what you're supposed to be doing, right? I think one of the most interesting things um, that I'd love to dive into more is, is the fact that sometimes your calling can change over time, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that sometimes, you know, God will put you somewhere that you need to be so that you can go on a different path later on. And it kind of makes sense in retrospect, but it might be confusing at the time. And I think it might be difficult sometimes to go through that transition of believing something is your calling and then having to pivot to a different one, um, even when it makes perfect sense in retrospect. So... I, I just think this is so cool um, that I don't know if I've ever met someone that's been in the CIA. So, Will, you might be the first one. And I have to tell our audience, I was giving you a little bit of crap before we started today because we prepped for this interview and um, you were just so nonchalant in, um, oh yeah, I was with the CIA, but you brushed over it so quickly, I think, in our last conversation that I saw an article that um, Fargo Inc. put out about you and I was reading it and I thought, he didn't tell me he was in the CIA, but I, I do think you did. Um, but this is just, it's such a cool perspective that our listeners can have. Um, and so when you look at that experience, I mean, it sounds like you really were excited about your opportunity with the CIA. It was something that you felt was your calling. I, I How did you sort through leaving? Because I have a feeling it was really hard to get out and maybe I'm wrong, but how did you know that it was time to transition and what was that experience like? Yeah, so I, I think there were a couple of us actually that left around the same time. And I, I think for um, for a few of us, I, I think we, we felt as if we were kind of giving the doom and gloom briefings about how China and Russia are catching up to the US on, on certain aerospace topics um, mm -hmm. and you know delivering more bad news than we were fixing in a sense. And I, a few of us saw a good opportunity to work in private industry to essentially try and fix the problems that we used to brief. Um, and so I, I think that ended up being kind of that, that pivot in calling, right? Because I, I think when, when I first walked in the door, you know, my, my belief was, you know, I'm going to be an intelligence officer for the next 30, 40 years, and then I'll retire. And the next day I'll come back as a contractor and do it, you know, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think for me, it was, um, I didn't necessarily expect to, to ever really leave, you know, I was, I was planning on doing that forever, really. Um, but, I, but I think for me, when I saw that I had a better opportunity to fix the kind of problems that we were encountering um, and to, you know, advance the American aerospace sector, including, you know, touching on um, aerospace policy, for example, you know, and what does good policy look like at sort of a, a legislative or executive level um, for advancing the American aerospace sector. I think for me, that was kind of the natural pivot from just working on aerospace topics in the intelligence community into what's the most effective way to fix those. Mm. So now let's fast forward to today. Do you feel like you're able to make an impact um, in what you're currently doing and tell us more about how you're maybe serving in your current role? Yeah, sure. Um, so let's see, since leaving, um, worked at a, a small satellite manufacturer that was focused on uh, CubeSat technology. So for everything from um, NASA to NOAA to national security customers, I think, um, you know, in, the, in that example, right, I mean, that, that was rapid prototyping of satellite capabilities um, so that you could get something on orbit um, in as little as half a year, which is, you know, lightning speed compared to the pace of government. 
And so I think, um, you know, for a couple of us that had left and gone there at the time, that that was a great opportunity to really advance U.S. satellite programs and have them move much faster than they were. And then, you know, since then, that tied into a lot of the work in the drone sector I've been doing since then, um, currently running business development for a, a multinational drone manufacturer. I mean, that's another place where I see a good opportunity to you know, bring a lot of uh, drone technology to the U.S., um, you know, focus on onshoring manufacturing here and bringing manufacturing back into the U.S. and, and back into North Dakota. I think that's been really rewarding as well. Mm. So you, you're helping, especially in North Dakota, bring more awareness and you're doing business development for drone manufacturing so that we can be building those locally versus outsourcing to other countries. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Basically building up the American aerospace sector here um, and focusing on actual manufacturing here, which I think is you know critical from both an economic perspective, but also national security perspective so that we actually have control of that supply chain. And, and you know that there's not you know Chinese spyware in the drone systems. Mm. Uh, so, so I think there are you know, multiple reasons that we really want to be doing aerospace manufacturing here in North Dakota. Mm. This is just fascinating to me. I just think um, especially North Dakota has such a market for um, drones and with our big skies and um, a lot of land. I know that there's a lot of um, stuff coming our way when it comes to drones. Um, how do you how do you maintain your faith currently? I mean, are there certain things that you're doing um, or involved in that help you? Because um, it sounds like you have a very, you know, a job that takes up a lot of your time and your brain energy and you're so passionate about your job. Um, so how do you not put God on the back burner? Yeah, so I, I think um, in, in some ways it's, it's almost similar to, um, you know, to, to workouts and athletics, right? It's, it's something that if, if you don't schedule around it, it's probably not going to happen. You know, I think um, a lot of people have found if, if you want to hit the gym regularly, you have to schedule it in, ideally do it early, um, and then build everything else around it. And I, th I think the same is true for, you know, for Bible study um, that, you know, I'm, I'm currently working through a, a 365 day uh, full Bible reading plan. It's something I always wanted to do. And I, I decided this year was going to be the year I'd do it. Um, and for me, I, I think um, if I set aside that time and I schedule it and I put it in the morning before the day gets busy, um, I think it's much more likely to happen than, you know, thinking I'll try and do it this evening after work and, you know, something always comes up. So I, I think um, scheduling ahead of time and really putting it in your calendar is, is really important. So I'm curious with your Bible plan, because different people have different philosophies on how to read the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. Are you starting with Genesis and going all the way to Revelation, or do you start in the New Testament? How does your plan, the 365-day um, plan, how does that um, break up the readings? Yeah, so um, this one has got five or six different shorter readings per day. Um, so, so it's not purely going through um, cover to cover, beginning to end, um, you know, page by page. It's, it's more mm. so it pulls a couple of readings that include Old Testament and New Testament. Mm. Um, and so, so I'd say it's kind of loosely chronological and, and loosely goes through, but, but does have both New and Old Testament at the same time. Hmm. That's really fascinating to me. Does it explain why it ties both New and Old at the same time? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that they explicitly say it, but I, but I think there is value in doing both at the same time in, in the sense that you can look at how kind of the New fulfills the Old, right? And so, so I think um, I, I'm a big fan of doing both at the same time for that reason. I love that. I know for me, um, whenever I read the Bible, I'm just always so much more drawn 
to the New Testament. And I think that's just natural as humans because the Old Testament is before Jesus comes and dies for us. And then the New Testament just brings so much more hope, in my opinion. Like when you read it, it's um, maybe even a little bit easier to digest what it's saying in a sense. And so that concept of simultaneously having a couple chapters from the old and a couple chapters from the new together, um, I love I love that way of reading the Bible. And I think that that might be something that works for our listeners as well. Yeah, and I, I think it's been really valuable because I, I know, um, you know, I, I remember trying once in the past um, to start purely just page by page. And I, I think it's it's really easy to get bogged down sometimes in, in the early family trees in the Old Testament, you know, <laughs> It's yes. not necessarily, you know, it's, it's kind of slow reading sometimes uh, trees, right? And so, so I think it's, it's kind of nice to do old and new at the same time. And I, I think especially when you look at how certain things were fulfilled with the New Testament, right, that it, it leads naturally into it. And, and it's kind of nice to do them both together. Totally agree. I think, um, yes, when it starts going, um, Moses was the father of Jacob and Jacob was the father of Isaac. And I'm I'm not yeah. quoting the Bible. I know that's not exactly right. But when it starts listing out all the names, and then you can only pronounce half of the names. My eyes kind of go cross-eyed a little bit. And then I have to tell myself, okay, refocus. Let's read yeah. through this a second time. Um, but knowing that you can kind of, yeah, combining some of that New Testament, with the Old Testament to help you see both um, sides of the story at the same time. I think that's really cool. So mm -hmm. might try to do that. Um, and now, is this an app? the 365 day challenge or is it online or where do you get the, the, yeah, this was, um, it was just a, a 365 day plan that I found on, um, on you version. Um, so I, I just found a good one there that, that came recommended and I've uh, been happy with it so far, I'm a couple days behind, but not too far. So, <laughs> you know, but, awesome. but I think also there, there's sometimes there's an element of, of, you know, life happens. And if, if you're doing a, a 365 day reading plan, and it ends up being 370 days or 380 days, you know, you can cut yourself some slack and, and understand you're still making it through and making progress. And so, you know, you might fall behind by a few days, but don't, don't let that trip you up. You know, I appreciate that. Well, I know for me, I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible every day. I didn't set a, um, like I'm going to read it in a year, but I more so decided I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read my Bible every day and I'm going to absorb the information and enjoy what I'm reading. So that's been kind of my approach because I think um, sometimes I can read a couple chapters. Other times I only read a small passage, but just like working that muscle to get into the Bible, I think is so, um, has been really helpful to me. But I also think that having more of a plan, like what you're doing probably would help me to stay on more of a consistent track. Um, but I love, I love what you said about cutting yourself slack. If you miss a day, that doesn't mean you have to throw the whole plan out the window so that's really good you know one one other nice thing too is um having some kind of small group that, that you can discuss things with i think that's been really valuable I, i've got both um my my men's group at my church that, that meets on a monthly basis but also um there's kind of a, a small group that i run with a couple other friends um and all of us have done you know some federal or national security work together in the past and i, I think even just kind of having a, a group chat there where, where instead of just meeting up on a weekly or monthly basis, you know, if, if you're reading something and it, and it comes up and you have a question and you want to ask the other guys, you know, what, what does this passage mean, right? You know, what's your interpretation? I think it's, it's kind of nice having a group chat for that too. Totally. Having that consistent text thread of friends that are all Christians that you can share what you're 
thinking about with, but also ask questions to maybe if you're like, hey, what, how do you interpret this verse? Um, I think that could be really powerful. Yeah, and I, I think also it's, you know, combination of, of that study element, but also things like prayer requests, right? Or if someone is going through something difficult or, you know, prayer requests for their family, right? Absolutely. No, I think that's really, really good. Um, I want to switch gears real quick because I know you're also going through a um, leadership program through the University of Mary, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Tell us more about that. And are there things that you're learning in that program that you also can apply to your faith? Um, tell us more about that experience. Yeah, sure. Um, so currently in cohort four of the Leadership North Dakota program, uh, which is done through the University of Mary. Um, it's been a great program so far. Um, basically, we, we meet on a monthly basis um, for about two days um, each month. Uh, each time is a different city in North Dakota. Um, and typically it'll focus on a, a different industry each time. Um, so, you know, it'll be everything from, um, you know, the mining industry to agriculture to military, um, but then also looking at what leadership lessons might apply to each of those. And, uh, you know, given that the, the University of Mary also has, you know, faith-based background too, there, there's a certain element of faith-based leadership and servant leadership too. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we went through and read not only, um, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but also uh, Sister Thomas's book, um, who's the one that, that was uh, the most recent leader of the university. So, so I think that that's been useful too, looking at leadership, but also servant leadership and, and faith-based leadership. Hmm. Is there any um, big takeaway that you've had or something that's changed the way that you view leadership after going through or being a part of this type of program? Uh, you know, so I'm still still halfway through it right now, but I, I think already there's been a very big focus on um, kind of servant leadership and, and thinking um, maybe in more of a proactive sense versus a reactive sense about how you plan, right? And I, I think that's been nice of, um, in, in the same way that there's value in, in sitting down and maybe doing your scripture reading in the morning right ahead of time, the same kind of thing for, for planning ahead your day and week and month. And I, I think that actually frees up more time uh, for things like a Bible reading plan, because in, instead of constantly putting out fires every 48 hours and, and focusing on the next day in front of you, you actually get a little more time to, to plan ahead on the things that are more important in life. Hmm. Well, that's really, I'm, I'm thinking you're speaking directly to me in my life because I, um, I go through seasons in my work where I am so good at preparing and coming to my meetings prepared and having a plan for the next couple months. And then all of a sudden I'll go through a couple months where planning goes out the window. And, and as you're talking about this, I'm thinking I can't be the best leader and I can't, I definitely can't serve those around me to my best capacity if I haven't taken time to plan. And so mm -hmm. I haven't really ever thought about um, the importance of planning in a more biblical Christian um, sense, but I do hear what you're saying is being very valuable. If we take more time to plan our day, that leaves space so that we can have more time with God throughout our day and throughout our week. And I, I think also, you know, obviously I'm not perfect about this and I, I it's the same in my life. It goes in waves yeah. too. So some, right. some weeks are much more reactive than others. Um, yeah. but, but I think also there's, um, there's also an element of, um, you know, I, I was speaking with um, a woman who's involved in her church leadership um, at the Emerging Prairie Retreat. When I went on that, there, there's the Founders Retreat that we all went on. And she was talking about the, the value in kind of a, a personal Sabbath, right, of um, really making uh, it, it a priority to, to set aside Sundays, both for not only church, but also family, 
and you know relaxation. And I, I think we, we know we're supposed to do that, but obviously Sunday is sometimes the catch up day before Monday and, and the work week. And so, so I think sometimes planning ahead the week and month ahead of you um, means you actually get a better Sabbath Sunday to, to focus on. Mm, absolutely. No, I think that's, that's, yes, I, you just changed my lens through which I was saying planning, because I always think of it as, okay, if I have extra time, then I'm going to slide in some time to get organized. <laughs> Not like I should be putting that, well, putting God first, but then putting that second, because if I can take more time to be prepared, again, I'm going to show up better for everyone else around me. Um, nobody wants a frazzled Kelsey that um, doesn't go over well and it makes me crabby. Um, so yeah, I just think that that's really cool thinking about servant leadership and the importance that preparation plays in being a good servant leader. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, another thing I wanted to just ask a little bit is, um, I know you're really into fitness. Now, I didn't prepare you for this question, but I'm just curious, um, how does, you know, being into fitness and running marathons and um, doing all of these different things that you've done and that you plan to do in your fitness life, how has that been a part of, um, you know, keeping you strong in your faith? Is that, does that play a role? Yeah, so I think there, there's actually kind of an interesting interaction there, and some of it almost gets historical. You know, if you go back 100 years, um, there was this, this movement in kind of the 1910s to 1920s of muscular Christianity, right? And um, if you look at the, the foundation of the YMCA, for example, right, you know, that, that was the Young Men's Christian Association, right? And, and there's kind of this, this interaction uh, between the idea of, of physical fitness and spiritual fitness and, and those both being things that you take care of together. Um, or even if you look at, there's some modern groups like, um, like F3 is one uh, where it's, you know, a CrossFit style fitness organization that also typically has a scripture reading at the end. Um, and I, I think those groups end up being really good because there's that element of, of fellowship, but also fitness at the same time. And so, so even just for my, my small group um, that we have with the four of us, where we've got this chat that we do, um, you know, a lot of that discussion ends up being fitness focused on personal fitness goals in addition to those faith goals. And I, I think they actually mesh really well when you focus on kind of how you take care of yourself. Hmm. That's, um, you are just, yeah, there's so many things. I, the fellowship and fitness, I'm thinking that is just um, something that I also haven't really thought about. Um, I've been a group fitness junkie myself. I've um, done a couple marathons, both times I got hurt. So, well, I don't think I'm going to be doing any more marathons in my life. I got stress fractures in my legs both times I tried. Um, but I, I do think that the, um, the camaraderie and the conversations that you can have both during, but also before and after working out, I think are, I think that's really powerful. And I even think about, um, I always, um, I always think that my mind is cleared after I get out and even go for just a walk um, and thinking about how can we incorporate God into a walk or into a workout. And I think that um, I've never, I've, I shouldn't say I've never, because I just said I got hurt when I ran a marathon, but I typically don't feel worse after getting in some movement. And so thinking about how can we partner that movement with our faith. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's interesting too, because if you go back and you look at, um,